0: Well, this morning, as has already been the theme, you might have guessed by now, but we are looking at what is most likely the most famous verse of this most famous chapter. We've been asserting that Psalm 23 is, it's, I think it puts up a good fight, arguably the most popular, famous, historic chapter in all the Bible. There's more famous verses, but I don't know a chapter that's so widely known and recited by believers and non-believers alike and this morning we find ourselves right smack dab in the middle with what is again the most famous verse of this most famous chapter some have called it the John 316 of the Old Testament in its popularity and that is verse 4 where David says as we just read yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod And your staff, they comfort me. Certainly, the most popular verse in this chapter, thanks to people like Coolio. You might remember the 90s rapper who I met, actually, at LAX airport. Just want to throw that out there. I know gangster rappers, personally. Um, I remember he gave me an autograph when I was about 12 years old. This is not in my notes. I just remembered that I actually sincerely met him. And my brother was talking to him, my older brother, at the airport. And he signed an autograph, El Cool Magnifico. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Coolio is not, uh, he's not quite Lecrae, um, a gangster rapper. And he wrote a song, Gangster's Paradise, where he pulled this very verse into the chorus of the song. And that's just one pop culture reference of many. This is a well-known, well-recited verse. It's one of the most common bedside scriptures. For those who are nearing the end of life, those who are, in a literal way, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as if death was coming, creeping up on them. Um, Certainly, as popular as it is, I think, as is in the case with many verses in the Bible, we can know something so well that we don't actually know it. In the way that God intended. And so we want to aim for that today. We want to become familiar with a scripture like this that we all know so well, so much so, and we've been saying this, that we don't walk away from a study like this with a greater knowledge of this psalm, but the true test of our receptivity to God's word and our receptivity to this chapter is that we walk away with a greater knowledge of the shepherd in a personal way when we are walking through the same dark times. If you haven't noticed, this is quite a dramatic shift in this psalm. I mean, it's pretty crazy. I mean, we have for the past eight weeks been looking at the first three verses that have a very care, bear, happy tone to them. Kind of lollipops and butterflies kind of a feel. Uh, very sheepy, lamby, happy language, right? He leads me beside still waters. He feeds me and causes me to take a nice sheep nap on tender grass he restores my soul it's like a, a just a cool breeze and then all of a sudden we go from a bob ross painting to a horror movie and in verse 4 the sheepy lammy talk turns into sounds like a death metal band lyric or something as we are walking now through the valley of the shadow of death. This is where the author of this psalm has found himself. Um, we know this is David, the shepherd king of Israel, who was once a shepherd boy in Israel, given the promise from God that he would one day be the king of Israel. And David certainly knew what it was like to go from high points and quickly, kind of like the shoots and ladders game, to slide right down to low points before you know it, to abruptly end up in what he calls a valley. He calls it the valley of the shadow of death. This is the poetic language that the author of this psalm, David, is using to describe his circumstance. We have our modern vernacular to say how tough life is. We have syllables and shortened phrases and all sorts of things to say how things are going for us. But for David, the Holy Spirit inspires this incredibly visual and poetic language to say, here's where I'm at in life of the metaphor of sheep. He says, it's like I'm a sheep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This was familiar territory to David. David as a shepherd has led sheep through not just mountain ranges and mountain peaks and tender grass and big fields, but he himself as a shepherd has walked with his sheep through valleys. Now when you might Hear the word valley, I'm sure what may come to mind, what could come to mind is sort of like a big, open, wide field, a valley with daisies and dandelions and sunflowers, and maybe you've been to California before and you hung out in the valley, okay? This is not that kind of valley. The word valley, the picture and the geographical location that David is, is penning is not a place of, of brightness shining sun. It's not a place of serenity, it's a place of darkness and difficulty. Um, Maybe a better word for the word valley there is the word ravine. This is a place along the pathway that a shepherd would lead his sheep, that they would be most vulnerable beneath cliffs and, and stuck there navigating through thick brush. This is a dark and difficult place. It's not just a valley, but it's a valley of shadows, um, the word shadow and the word death are actually one Hebrew word in the original language. Uh, we read it as the valley of the shadow of death. But it's I don't, I don't know if this is like David spitting bars here and coming up with a really cool word. But literally in the Hebrew, this is one word and it's just shadow death. David, where are you at in life? I'm in a ravine of shadow death. Shadow death. It, it speaks of of. Darkness, in fact, the word, the picture of the word, it speaks of like somebody taking the light switch with, and, and the visual is not just like turning off the lights. But even in the language, it's like a dimmer switch that just slowly gets darker. The language was conjuring up the picture of a, of a cloud, a dark cloud covering the brightness of the sun. I'm in a low place. I'm suddenly in a dark place and I'm certainly in a, a difficult place. It's scary. It's the shadow of death is where he is. Death. The idea is that certain danger and threat and, and well, predators are around the corner. In, in this place of the ravine, it was a very vulnerable spot. You had the low ground, all right? For all my Fortnite people, you know, that's not a place you want to be. You want to be on top, aiming down. Now, in this case, here's David saying, this is where I'm at in life, man. David's in a valley, of darkness and difficulty. He even goes on to say that he's facing evil. Now, there are times where the valley of the shadow of death and the pervasive evil that's filling it, um, it does feel more real than others when you you catch a news story about what happens at a bar and a club in Thousand Oaks, California, when you learn of another injustice that's occurring, the tragic slaying of, Innocent life, people made in the very image of God. We've all felt that before, right? You've ever read that news story and you're just like, I am now in the valley of the shadow of death. There's this feeling of evil. But this is a circumstance that we all walk through, whether or not death is directly involved. It could be said that all of life is really the valley of the shadow of death, all of our human existence, it has its high points, but this is not how life was created to be. And isn't there that great feeling that you feel when you see those tragedies occur? This is not right. We pray things like Jesus come, make things right again. There's this longing within us that points ahead to this hope, but it also goes back to the beginning where there wasn't these valleys of shadows of death in life, but it was mountaintops of brightness and light and life before sin entered This world, but that's certainly not the world we're in anymore, and that's certainly not the lives that we experience. Like, there's times for sheepy talk, there's times to read verses about still waters, there's times where we walk through life and what we really need is God to restore us, but there's times, more often than not, where if we were honest, we don't really have the words to describe how hard life is. It's the valley. You know, and isn't this a common theme all throughout Scripture? You have a constant flow in people's lives in relationship with God. It's not just circumstantial. We're talking about something even spiritual where you have mountaintops and you have valley lows, right? You ever had that quick descent from that mountaintop? I remember as a youth pastor and taking groups, some of you, to youth camp every summer, you knew it was going to be a mountaintop. People are like, you come back, you go to the camp, and like everyone's a heathen on the way there, um, and then halfway there, once you do some crowd control and you keep the kids alive um, for a week, after a week of focusing on the Lord, it's like at the end of the week, it's a mountaintop. People are like ultra committed, radical, fired up for Jesus because they've encountered him like Moses did even, like on the mountaintop. And you get kids who are just making like promises <laughs> that you're like, chill. It's okay. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to die next week for, as a missionary. You know, it's like you can live. It's okay to live. Um, you know I'm moving the 1040 window I'm going to parachute in and I'm going to reach everyone you know and it's like this kind of fired up experience it's the zeal but sometimes what that needs is a little bit of wisdom to understand that there's this unavoidable rhythm to life that we can't experience it's like South Florida weather you can try your best to flow with it and predict it but at the end of the day sometimes the clouds come out of nowhere And some of us have been so jaded in our relationship with God because of clouds that came out of nowhere. Because of the sudden descent from the high place of knowing and experiencing and feeling God. To the low place of the valley of the shadow of death. And there's different degrees of this. There's different experiences with this. There's a variety of ways that we in life walk through dark and difficult places, but I think one of the most challenging thing that many of us face is what David is facing in Psalm 23. It's not just that he is walking through this difficult time. The hardest part about this difficult time and dark time is that David has ended up here by following what God has called him to do. You're going to be the next king of Israel, David. Yes, Lord. No, I don't know if David assumed that next week he was getting the crown, but that's not what happened. David, immediately after a few years and a few um, frustrations that he caused in the present king, it usually doesn't go well when uh, you don't get to choose your predecessor. And for Saul, he did not like David very much. He was the best friend of, of, of uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. Uh, but David quickly entered the um, you know, Israel's most wanted list. And he was on the run for his very life. And this mountaintop of God anointing him with oil, that moment has been reduced to a memory all because David was doing what God called him to do. I mean, let's actually go back for a second and see what this verse is connected to. So we just read about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But do you remember verse 3? Do you remember the scripture we studied last week? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You ever had a friend that you allowed navigate for you while you were driving, and you ended up where you shouldn't have been, and you're like, are we going to die? Are we going to get shot? Like, it kind of gets scary. You can tell I was raised in Boca. Um, I'm sure this is a, this experience for David. God, you, you lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. I didn't see that ending me up in the valley of the shadow of death. There's this bit of a shock that we experience. So here's the question we ask today. What do you do? And you've come to Jesus, you've made him your shepherd. You're following him. You're, you're, you're aiming your life, as imperfect as you are, you're aiming your life to follow his leading, which is going to take you towards righteousness for his glory. And You said, okay, Lord, I'm signing up for that. I fall short of that. I'm in desperate need of you. So here I go, and now all of a sudden, what? What, Lord? I, I prayed they would be healed, not that they would die. God, I thought this was the school I was going to get into. God, I thought this relationship was going to work out. I thought the sickness would go away. Whatever our disappointment is, what do you do when following Jesus leads you to the dark and difficult places? Here's a few things. The first thing we do, number one, is understand this, that the valley is promised. Let's start here, number one. The valley is promised. Um, I think the most important place to start when we are navigating dark and difficult times as followers of Jesus is to get a right understanding of what we should be expecting in life. I don't know about you, but I find myself on this kind of like uh, rat race in a a bit, you know, on the hamster wheel, so to speak, where I I find myself having to evaluate, God, why am I mad at you? And oftentimes I realize it's because I'm expecting things out of life that he never promised, right? Wait, God, what? I thought... I thought smooth paths, still waters. Pa- I thought paths of righteousness was going to be like ice skating, like woo, you know? What? So I think it starts here. It's got to start with what we expect from life and expect from God. I think far, far too often we expect too much out of life and we expect too little out of God. I know for me. Oftentimes what I expect from God in my life and what I expect of him as God is backwards. I need to learn to expect more from God for who he is. And maybe I need to not be so entitled to so much of a perfect life. When you look in the Bible, you see that the idea of following Jesus and that leading you into difficulty and suffering, it's not just something that Jesus warns, like, hey, here, it's gonna be tough, all right? You're gonna be following me, but I just wanna give you a heads up. Along the way, It might get hard. Who knows? It may be a little tough, so just do your best. Know some verses because, you know, it's kind of like a 50-50 chance, you know? Like either like smooth sailing, you get saved. It's the happy, healthy, holy, you know, club, and and here you are, and you're wealthy. and, And like it works out, but there might be a chance that you get sick. There might be a chance that someone you love will pass away. There might be a chance that people will reject you for following me. no. In fact, when Jesus was nearing the end of his life and he was giving his final instructions to his disciples, um, he wasn't exactly preaching the modern message of, guys, the best is yet to come. Now, certainly that's true with our eschatology, right? Amen? The best is yet to come. It's been said that for a Christian, this is the worst it's ever going to get. The best is yet to come. For a non-believer, this is the best it's ever going to get. In a sense, the worst is yet to come. But we must also be wise in what we experience in the meantime. We want to be hopeful. We want to believe that God can heal. We, to, we, we know that God is able. We know that nothing is too hard for God. But Jesus was clear to guarantee to his disciples that in following him, what did he say at the end of his life as he was commissioning them? He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have it. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is a theme all throughout the New Testament. Um, you also have it in the book of Acts. I love it the way Peter, there's, or Paul, he shows up to this church, and he says, uh, it tells us that he, he showed up to encourage the churches at Iconium and Lystra, and like this was his encouraging word. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Really, Paul? Like I thought you were going to say something like, God is delivering you, the happiness is coming, believe it and achieve it, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. It's yours. Paul's like, all right, guys, here's the deal. We're going to the kingdom, kingdom of God. Here's how we get there. Through the valley of the shadow of death, through many tribulations, um, And then kind of to tie us more to Psalm 23 about living a righteous life, here's a a scripture that we don't like. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God, that's not really what I had in mind. My idea of you directing my path doesn't look like that. Um, And a lot of times this is where we end up disappointed with God can't tell you how many high school students I've seen walk away from Jesus because they were expecting that if I live this way if I abstain from these sins if I don't see these movies I don't listen to this music maybe if I do enough good things then God will get me into the school I want as though you could barter with God Russ can you come up here for a second I want to invite up my friend Russ can you give it up for Russ Kaif? I just want to bring him up for illustration real quick so Russ has no idea what I'm, I'm gonna have him do in a second so but he trusts me okay uh, this is one of my really good friends, Russ. Love this guy. Um, just moved down from Jersey. How long ago? Uh, three months ago. Three months ago. Just showed up one day. He called, we talked last year. He's like, man, we're starting the church. Couldn't wait for him to come down. Just shows up one Sunday. I was like, oh, I guess you moved. Um, but one of my good friends. Um, you know, Russ, I want you to just stand there for a second. I want you to look out at the crowd, okay? That was messed up. I'm sorry. Okay, here, look. Now, I want you to stand here again, but I want you to know it's coming, okay? And I want you, don't let me push you over, okay? I know that in the end, I lose. I know that. Looking at you. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Everyone else does too. Okay, we don't do the, we're not going to do the contest. I don't want to be sad. All right. Are right, you ready? Okay, ow. Okay. All right, give it up for Russ. Go back to your seat, please. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, now, the second time Russ wasn't as moved because he was expecting it. So many of us are Russ on the first hit. And we get, whoa, 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 suffering? Whoa, whoa. We start questioning our theology, which we probably should. But we start questioning our faulty theology, and we thought that was the true theology, that, you know, if I put forth my best foot, God, if I I do my best to have good spiritual hair days and come to church nice and clean and happy, you'll give me everything I want. That's a works-based relationship with God will either lead you to look down your nose at people around you when you get what you worked for. Or it will lead you to look up at people in shame. That is not Jesus. It is not the gospel. The gospel is that though we were undeserving of any and every blessing from God, Jesus Christ switched places with us so that God's riches could be poured out on our lives. Deeper than material riches. Being adopted, being forgiven, being redeemed, being destined for eternal life because of grace. Grace. So the scripture would lead us, listen, as those who are following Jesus, the scripture would lead us not to be frustrated with God for what he promised would happen. Being disappointed with God for things he never said would happen. We need to, you know, I think of the book that um, uh, married couples get when they're about to have a baby. It's called, What to Expect When You're Expecting. You know, I think the Bible is like that. It's, it's a book that teaches you how to ex- what to expect from the Christian life. And some of us, we need God to correct what we expect. We need a greater expectation for who He is, and how mighty He is, and how glorious He is, and how awesome He is, and maybe we need a bit of a lower expectation as to what we're entitled to in this life. Because all that we are and all that we have is because of his grace in the first place. When you are not prepared for that, yeah, you can thank the Lord. Yeah, it's his word. If you're gonna, go ahead. Go ahead. If you're gonna, I'm just saying, you know, I mean, like, (laughs) yeah, we don't give God golf claps, right? We give him the full thing, yeah. Uh, You know, but that's the idea. That's the idea, that if you're prepared, and this is so important, it starts by making sure that my expectations line up with what God has promised. And he's promised that things are going to get hard. He promised that things are going to get difficult. I've seen a lot of new believers really have a hard time with this. Because when you first get saved, you're jazzed and everything's awesome. And the world is seen through rose-colored glasses. And it's like, this is the world God made. And I'm saved. And everything's awesome. And then what happens eventually is real life sets in. You're like, oh, my boss still is him. Uh, Oh, I'm still me, you know. I mean, I didn't want sin for the first two months that I was a new Christian, but now all of a sudden I find myself giving CPR to dead habits of life. God, where are you? I can't feel you. You know where you are? Can I tell you something? You're in a valley. You're in a valley. You're following Jesus. And following Jesus has mountaintops, and following Jesus has valleys. It has mountain highs, and it has valley lows. So much so that I, I think this is such a great scripture to illustrate this. First Peter 4, I love the way that it just kind of culminates. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is where this language gets. It's, it's, I mean, I could have gave you eight more references about the promise of what life is going to look like, but Peter just, I <laughs> love Peter, don't you love Peter? He's like, guys, it's not weird. Don't think it's strange. Don't be like, what is this suffering thing? I am a child of God, the Most High. No! In fact, it's really normal. In fact, according to Jesus, I wouldn't be so worried about your suffering. I would be worried about your easy life. You go, man, I don't have these problems. So well, maybe you're not following Jesus. No, I'm not preaching a poverty gospel. Don't hear me there. But I'm certainly not going to preach a prosperity gospel either we need to understand that there's promises in this world about the difficulty to come. Again, the valley, it's promised. So this is where it starts. I think this is so huge that, that we should expect it. We should expect it. When, like Russ, when we're expecting it, I think we'll be less moved, less moved, knowing that it was coming. Write this down, number two, though. We also need to see that not only is the valley promised, but this is the best news of all. It's not an accident. It's purposed. The season you're in is not an accident. David said it this way, my times, God, are in your hand. And some of us think that it was only the good times that were in God's hand. But we need to see that God has a purpose for not just, generally speaking, all of our life. You know, we love that phrase, God has a purpose for my life. But what about when life, you know what? The the Christian movie version is, what about when life stinks, okay? What about when life is, is really tough? God, do you have a purpose for my life? Now, um, and here's what's pretty interesting, a, a, sh- a shepherd knows this. Sheep often don't know what the shepherd knows, right? So we're like the sheep often in the valley going, what's going on here? But a shepherd would know. David knew as he's writing this, he's able to write it with such confidence, because David knew as a shepherd that there was actually a purpose for the valley. You see, during the fall seasons and the, and the, and the different winter seasons, a shepherd would migrate and he would travel with his sheep to go find other pasture, And it was often at the base of the mountain because of all the snow on top of the mountain that the shepherd would have to lead the sheep through and they would make their way into spring and summer again and it was through that ravine that they would end up to higher places that they would never get to if it wasn't for the valley. The valley, listen to this, in shepherding terms, the valley was and it was the only pathway to the higher point, to higher ground. Could it be That God loves you enough to take you through what you're going through because he knows what's going to come out on the other side. We all want higher ground, but we don't want the valley, right? God, can you like airlift me to higher ground, like Coast Guard style? Like I get saved and it's like, okay, I want to be like, I want to like be fully dependent on God. I want to have like the craziest faith in the world. I want to trust him through through it all. Okay, just like put that in me. Go, boom. Boom. And like that's, that's just not how life works. That's not how God works. That's not how Jesus worked with his disciples. All, this would happen from time to time. It's so fun to watch. Um, look, at the, look at the sermons that Jesus preaches to his disciples that often precede some of their greatest challenges. They're often the very lesson he's trying to teach them. So, like the one about the word of God. You know, it's like a seed. It dwells in the you know the sower, and they're like, oh, that's so awesome. We're like good soil, right, Jesus? You know, like look at all of our fruit. And Jesus is like talking about like believing God's word and trusting Him. He's like, hey, you get it? You get the sermon? They're like, yes, Lord, we took notes, so we must have learned it by now. And so they're like listening to the sermon. He's like, okay, great, let's get in a boat. Now, it's kind of 50-50 when Jesus is getting a boat with me, okay? He could be napping, it could be good, he could be preaching a sermon, or you could be walking through the the boat of the valley of death, okay? Um, And in this case, it was, let's go. And it was in this storm that their faith was actually tested, it was actually revealed. See, the word of God really hasn't transformed your life until you start walking it out and experiencing it. My hope and heart here on Sunday morning is to deposit some seeds and kind of give a push start to the work God really wants to do in your life tomorrow. That's really when the sermon is received. That's really when God's word is received is when it's walked out and tested. You see, there's a purpose for that valley. That's the place of testing. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, that for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So this is the language, and this is, again, one of many scriptures that talk about how God does this, how God uses our pain as a pathway to higher ground. And, and let me just take a moment to say that that doesn't minimize pain. It's not, that's not what we're meaning to do. That's not what God's Word does here. Um, I know for me and the pain that I've walked through, the loss that Brittany and I have walked through, it wasn't in figuring out what we didn't know about the pain that brought healing. It was leaning on what we did. Sometimes that's all you can do. When you don't know and you don't understand, lean on what you do. This is often how God will minister and heal his children. They come to him with questions and they go, God, I want an explanation, And God goes, I got something better. I have a revelation of who I am. Something you've always known, but maybe not in the way that I wanted you to. So you're walking through this productive, purpose-filled season. And it's only God that can do this with trial. Only God. I love the word, and this stuck out to me. I never read it this way. But I love the phrase, working for us. Trials. It's only God that can take um, the enemies of our trials And make them our employees that work for us. Think of it that way. In Christ, what's working against you becomes something that works for you. So we look to promises like Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things in God's own perfect way work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God takes our trials and he employs them for our service, for his glory. I think a key thing here with the, the pathway is the way James says it. James says in James 1, a lot of you guys know this verse. You have a coffee cup with it on it. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, when you come down from the mountain and now you're walking through a spiritual valley, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, we love that part, but I think that's where we end a lot. Notice what I emboldened. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may become perfect and complete, lacking patience. Nothing. There, there's a promise of trial. God says, listen, you might not understand it all, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to work it for you. I'm going to work it together for good. I'm going to bring you out on the other side with a deeper dependence on me than you had before. But you got to let it work. you got to press through. you got to press through. It's through the valley. This is the biggest thing. We need to understand this as a Christian. Your valley is not your end destination because you have a shepherd. And he's leading you through that valley. And the hard truth about this is that the only way out is through. And this is so difficult and challenging for us as individualistic Western American Christians. Because what is our highest priority and value here in the West? Well, it's my personal comfort and happiness. So I look for any way in life to escape from my pain, not dive into and face and walk through my pain. So I know a God that can deliver me from my trial, but I I might not be as familiar with a God who wants to deliver me in my trial and walk me through my trial. Press on is the word of Scripture. Go through. You know what happened in David's life? I want you to notice something. Notice the pronoun that David uses in verse four. He says, for you are with me. You. Does this stick out to you? Did you know for the past three verses, David has been referring to God as what? He. He. Isn't it interesting how trial has a way to make a distant God all of a sudden really personal and near? This pronoun shift occurs. He goes from he is leading me to you are with me. Could it be that's what God is really, if we could simplify it, that's what God is trying to do right now in your life? He's trying to take what you know about God conceptually and make God someone that you know personally. And trial has a way to cause you to go, Lord, forget what I think I know about you. I just need to know you. You. At some point, we gotta move from talking about God to speaking with God, to processing before him, for, for being honest and not trying to hide things that he sees and wrestling with him. He says, you, the valley is purpose. It's a purpose place to lead us into deeper relationship with God if you let it because Again, you have to let it have its work. I know for some of us, this hasn't been the case. Instead of maybe our trial working for our our betterment, it's worked more towards our bitterness. And instead of it drawing us near to God, it's caused us to drift away from God. I just want to tell you that God wants to be known by you in a way that you've never known him through what you're going through. He's He's got a whole new side of him you've never seen before. This is what it was like for David's experience. You go through David's valley of the shadow of death, which is like 12 years of running in the wilderness for his very life. And along the way, David, he marks these spots, and he names them after God. Isn't that so cool? One of my favorite is Selah Hamalakoff. I'm so Hebrew. This is where David was rescued by God on the edge of a cliff, and it was at this spot that David says, The Lord, thus far the Lord is here. He's my rock. He's faithful. And that's what God wants to do, man. He doesn't... He doesn't want your relationship with him to be a bunch of information that you learned from someone. And trial will cause that stuff to go the farthest distance in the universe, which is the 12 inches from your head to your heart. And You go, wow. And I've I've been able to do this, especially if you journal, communicate with God through writing. You're able to look back on your life and you can kind of name seasons after God. And you don't let the trial name the season, you let God name the season. Lastly, the valley, let's write this last one down, the valley is... Purchased. So we know that the valley is promised. It's promised. We got to plant our feet. We don't need to be moved. Paul said in Acts 20 24, none of these things move me because I I knew what to expect. I wasn't T boned by life because I expected from life what God promised and I was able to fortify myself in Him knowing what was promised. I know that the valley, I know that dark times are promised. I also know that the grace of God causes the valley to be purposed, that God can even use the darkest of days, the deepest pits, the most difficult valleys, to work towards me knowing him in a greater way as I lean into him. And lastly, write this down. The valley is purchased. Purchased. What do I mean by this? Certainly, it's a P word that ends with S-E-D, but that's not all. Um, You see, shepherd, Shepherds, or sheep owners, are also landowners. They're landowners. So as a shepherd leads his sheep, as we've been reading about where he leads them, green grass, still waters, this is not just a hodgepodge of shepherds barring each other. Can I get some of your grass for my sheep? Is that good? Okay, thanks. I mowed your lawn for you. Thank you. You know That's not what's going on here. There's certain jurisdiction and respect and private land, and there's, uh, there's a sense of admiration and respect to your fellow neighbors, and the idea here is as David is walking through this valley with his shepherd, David knows that in his mind, though this valley is a dark place, it's not outside of his shepherd's jurisdiction. He owns it all. So David says, even in this valley, do you guys see the thrust of this verse? You are with me. You're with me, God. God, you don't just own the mountaintops of my life. You are present and you are in full ownership of the valleys in my life. It's within your jurisdiction. Even though the evidence around me is on the contrary, making me feel like you're nowhere near me, thank you for the promise. I love what Zach prayed. Whether we make our bed in hell or we ascend to the highest, highest points of the earth, God is with us. Now, this was something that fortified David and his faith. Um, I think it's hard for a lot of us to to get there because this is something we grew up hearing. For a lot of us, if you grew up in church long enough, you understood the idea that God's with you. Emmanuel, God with us. His presence, he's there. He, but in Scripture, we see that this wasn't just some spiritual sentiment, like God's with you, like you're walking through hell on earth, but God's with you. In Scripture, the idea of understanding God's presence, and a, you could say an awareness of God's there that sort of understanding, it wasn't a spiritual sentiment, but it was a faith-infusing reality that caused people to look at what they were going through through a different lens. So much so that Moses goes, God, please don't let us leave Egypt if you're not going to come with us. What we, what we most desperately need is you to be with us. And this harkens back to when Moses was first called by God. And God goes, all right, Moses, you're going you're to go and you're going to set my people free. I'm going to use you as an instrument of deliverance. And Moses goes, who am I, Lord? I, I think I think he was insecure, but I think part of him wanted to hear God say, You're the man, Moses. You're Moses, Prince of Egypt, bro, right? And God goes, I'll be with you. Who am I, God? Um, You're someone I'm with. That's more than you could ever want to be in life. That's enough. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always. And what this should do to us, it should cause us like David to look at what we're going through as something that God's going to get us through. Because he's with us. He owns it. He's a part of it. Um, I like how Isaiah 43 says it. When you pass through the waters, God says, I'll be with you. This is Israel's history. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. This was the presence of God was such a faith-infusing, game-changing reality that David could even look in the face of evil and say, I'm not afraid. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of who can I be afraid if God's with me? Because if God's with me, who could be against me? And this is the promise of God's word for his people. Not meant to just be thrown around lightly, but meant to be held on tightly to. God, you're still with me. And it causes me to look at what I'm facing unafraid. And I love this, because God, you know what I'm looking at? I'm just looking at, I love this, shadows. Shadows, that's what he said. It's the value of the, notice he didn't say the substance of death. The shadows of death. And shadows have a way, don't they? Have a way of of leading you to see an illusion that's not really there. Come on, you remember being—I was going to say twelve-year-olds, but twelve years old. But you remember last week in your house (laughs) when the lights were off? Like I remember the home. Bernie and I—we've been in our new home now since March, but I remember like the first couple nights I was in there. It was like, what is this place? Who's in that corner? And just the way that like the closets opened. And like my son's like Chewbacca mask is on, it's chewy, but he's on the closet door. And just the way that the light from the outside light post thing is projecting in, all of a sudden that innocent Chewbacca is terrifying on the shadow, shadow figures. Come on, you've done it with the puppets. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? In fact, did you know there's this, uh, this really interesting category of art that, that, that sort of plays into this um, reality of light and, and shadows and depth. And what they do is they take garbage and they project a light on it and it creates this illusion to be something that the substance isn't. The problem for a lot of us is we're trying to make sense of the substance of God, but we're viewing it through the illusion of a shadow. Our trial, our circumstance. And let me tell you something. It's not what you think it is. In fact, I love the way that Colossians says it. It's, it's, you know, I get theologically it's about the law, but it's still true. He says, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, look at this, which are a shadow of things to come. Come on, the substance is Jesus. He's the substance. He's the real thing. And so David goes, listen, I'm facing a lot of shadows. It's scary. It's terrifying. But I can conquer worry. I can overcome anxiety. I can walk without fear because the shadows don't compare to the substance of Jesus who's with me. And he's with me. In fact, you think about what a shadow is. You know what a shadow is? A shadow is something that's dependent on a light. See, Jesus is the substance. He's the, that shadow doesn't exist if it wasn't for Jesus, the substance, being there. He's over it all. He reigns over it all. And as the good shepherd, he told us, man, I'm not like a hired servant. That's not who I am. I don't know what you've experienced in your life, people who give up on you and they leave you, they abandon you because you don't measure up, you're not good enough, they don't really care about you. But in John 10, as Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, he says, here's the deal, okay, hired servants, people who don't really care about sheep, when the wolf comes, when there's threat, the hireling leaves. He flees because he doesn't care about the sheep. But that's not who I am, Jesus would say. I'm a good shepherd and I'll die to protect you. And so David is able to think about this idea. He's able to think about how God, as a shepherd, he's got a rod and a staff. It's these tools that a shepherd would use. A rod was more of like a close quarters weapon. In the kitchen, it was a utensil with some some diamonds on it or pearls or some sort of Hebrew jazz Um, back then. It would be a scepter a staff, kind of traditional, it's got the hook; he can pull them along, but but God's own special care and his ability, David goes, listen, I know what I'm looking at's really scary, I know it's really difficult, I know I'm worrying a lot, I know I'm terrified, but thank you, God, that you're a shepherd, and what that means for me is though I'm walking through this, you're gonna be the one to protect me. You're gonna be the one to carry me through. I know it feels like the end, but God, thank you that your vision goes beyond mine. Thank you that you can see better than I can see and your rod and your staff, just the fact that you care for me, God, that brings comfort to me. There's comfort in knowing that God's with you. That you're not gonna be overwhelmed by what you're going through. That he's the substance. Jesus, Jesus. He bore the substance of death for us, guys. He didn't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He went to the cross of the substance of death. So that all that we'd ever have to walk through was the shadow. I love the way that 2 Timothy says it. Jesus Christ has abolished death. Thank you, God. Thank you for kicking death's butt. I want to use another word, but you kicked the death's butt, God. Thank you that you've done that. Thank you God that you are the conquering king that defeated my greatest foe. You've abolished death and you've brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So now I can walk through the valley. I expected, I knew, I knew that, listen, I knew that I wasn't getting handed an easy cards in life. I knew this was going to be hard following you. But I can walk through this valley knowing that that you have a purpose for every time and every season in my life. Even if if I don't see it. Even if it's just for me to go from knowing you as he to now knowing you as you. You have a purpose. Thank you, God, that you're with me. And because of that, I don't have to fear. I want to end with probably... um, My new favorite quote, until next week probably. But Charles Spurgeon, this is his commentary. He said, nobody's afraid of a shadow. For a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. What are you going through today? What kind of shadows are you walking through? What would it look like for you to come to Jesus and see Him as your shepherd who's overcome your greatest threat, who's secured your greatest hope, who has a rod and a staff, and He's with you with what you're walking through, and He's going to get you through what you're walking through as you follow Him? When you encounter that Jesus, that good shepherd, you'll say, Man, this is hard. Man, this this is really difficult. Man, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but you're with me. And you're going to carry me through, God. You're going to see to it. I didn't sign up for this thing. You enlisted me. You saw the end before the beginning. You saw my days as they were being yet formed, Lord. So help me trust you. Help me follow you. Help me get really close to you and not naturally get far from you. Can we just allow this to be a space where we get close to Jesus for a second? Song's gonna play. Whatever that looks like for you. You wanna come up, get prayer. You wanna kneel at your seat. Whatever God's doing in your heart, my encouragement to you is to respond. Respond. Jesus is here. Our good shepherd's with us now. Let's look to him. Let's speak to him. Let's know him as